Hello and welcome to season five of the Digital Download Podcast. If you're new to the show, I'm Paul Sutton, a digital communications consultant who works with organisations large and small to build more effective digital and social media strategies. If you've listened before, welcome back after what's been a rather extended break over the summer. I've got some fantastic guests lined up for you this season, and we're going to be covering topics as diverse as crisis management, digital transformation, the differences in social media use around the world, and the impact of cryptocurrency. But today, we're starting with something that's been on my mind for several months. I'm very aware of the impact that marketing has and and the motivations for marketing and the whole idea of need and lack. That whole mechanism, I think, is deeply flawed. And I think the advertising algorithms that are behind Facebook and other platforms are driven by that motivation and are therefore deeply flawed. Ewan Semple is a highly respected digital specialist who helps global companies adapt to technology. When it comes to changes in digital behaviour and the impact of those on society, there are few who are better informed. As we watch the television each evening, we're watching our current institutions crumbling under their own weight, you know, all around the world. I mean, this is a massive phase shift that's going on, I think, at the moment. And the, to me, apparently inevitable direction is greater responsibility, greater emphasis on mutual respect and tolerance, all of which I find very exciting. In today's show, Ewan and I address one key question. Is social media broken? or are people broken? This is Digital Download, a podcast that explores the latest thinking in digital communications, PR, and social media. Here's your host, Paul Sutton. I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast today, Ewan Semple, who I have known of really rather than known for I don't know 10 years I'm guessing I don't know you won't remember this but we've met I I think it was about 10 years ago I'm not exactly sure at some PRCA thing I think I was working for an agency at the time anyway and it was in London I don't even remember what it was about was was it in in Lords I think I remember doing something in Lords that could have been could have been uh but yeah it was a long time ago and, and I sort of uh, started following you through that. I read your book at that time, um, which again, that was what 2012 you wrote that, I think it was. <laughs> Don't know, can't remember <laughs> again, so long ago. Um, but anyway, the book was Organizations Don't Tweet, People Do, which you know, uh, it's relevant to what we're going to talk about today, I think, in some ways. But I mean, you've you've worked for the BBC, and uh, as I understand it anyway, your role there was to really to kind of un- help them understand new technologies and the way that was playing through. And then as a consultant, you've worked with people like BP, Volvo, the European Commission, a whole broad swathe of, of big organisations. That's right, isn't it? That's correct, yes. I mean, actually, the my BBC career was 21 years, so I had lots of different jobs. And uh, some of them involved, you know, I was a radio sound engineer for 10 years. Right. So I've seen firsthand, you know, many, many very good news journalists operating. So um, it was only the latter part that the technology thing began to be part of my job. 
And as a consultant, is it fair to say that you have focused on sort of digital transformation? Is that the, the sort of phrase that you you use for that? Funnily enough, Paul, I, I did a post about this, uh, was it yesterday, day before yesterday, about, so what do you do? Um, right. Because, you know, the word consultant has never really worked for me uh, in the sense that I don't do what many conventional consultants do. I don't do plans. I don't do, I don't prepare spreadsheets or PowerPoint yep. for people. I kind of have conversations about stuff that interests me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's even the way I tend to approach keynotes. It's me noticing things, sharing things I notice. And if people find them of enough interest and stimulating enough to maybe change their thinking a little bit, then then I get paid for it. And so it's it's been an interesting just, you know, it's 13 years or so, 14 years coming up since I left the BBC. And basically it's it's been under under its own steam on that basis, if you like. Yeah. So yeah, uh, consultancy is probably the wrong word to use for what I do, but I can't think of a better one. No, fair enough. I, I always think of you as someone who is an early adopter of technology. I, I would apply that particularly to, to social media as well. Um, thinking about when I kind of got to know you a little bit, you were always someone who I thought was was on the, the bleeding edge of social media at that time. What we're going to talk about today is something that bleeds into that a bit. You, you said you you kind of you notice things and you and you might post them to encourage people to talk and discuss things, which is where where my interest in inviting you to talk today came from. Because you posted something on LinkedIn several months ago now, and followed that up with a a podcast on the state of the net, which was about social media and. Well, you said specifically social media isn't broken, people are. Do you want to just provide a bit of background to where that came from? Yeah, and, and just to take a short step back, when I became involved in all this, it, it wasn't social media. There was no such thing, you know. It was it was yeah. uh, way back was using Usenet to ask questions about trips to Canada and having people answer that with wonderful responses. And then I got into blogging. It's funny, it's now seen as very early. I mean, I've been blogging for, I can't remember, 15 or 16 years, I think. But I remember being skeptical of this new thing when I saw it. And it had already been going for about a year when I joined it or started uh-huh. it. So like I said, it wasn't social media back in those days. It was just people uh, using written words in small packets to have conversations with each other. And frankly, that's what still fascinates me. Uh, you know, I've flown under a number of flags of convenience over the over the over the years, knowledge management, social media, marketing comms, but it's still really the thing that fascinates me is that ability for us to have conversations about stuff that matters to us. And the context for that comment about social media media isn't broken, people are, is that it's so easy to blame the tool. And it was around the time of the shooting in New Zealand. And yet again, calls for regulation of social media. And, you know, I think there are legitimate cases where our behaviors online should be regulated in the same way as they are offline. But if it if it was all being directed at these nasty, evil social media companies. yeah, And I found that worrying because, you know, in some ways the internet is a mirror and it's uh, it's showing our true nature in some respects and, and the bits we don't like are being more, ob- more obviously evident than, than they have been in the past, perhaps. And that's uh-huh. an opportunity. That's an opportunity for us to deal with it uh, and to accept that there are ugly sides of our nature and that, that we maybe could do better. And just to blame somebody else or expect the social media companies to tidy it up and make it go away 
uh, seems to me a, a, a missed opportunity. <clears throat> so in the sense that uh, that phrase, you know, social media companies aren't broken, we are. It's our, our human characteristics that we are seeing and should be dealing with rather than just technology. But would you not say that, I mean, I accept what you could, you can argue that social media is, as you said, like holding a mirror up and seeing what's what's natural to us. I think there's a strong argument to say that actually social media exacerbates some of that stuff. Would you not say? It's such a blanket phrase to be almost meaningless. Okay. In the sense that there are technologies which we have with us all the time, which make it easy for us to share things with lightning speed that have a global reach. And clearly that has a consequence. You then add into that the fact that the the platforms have to have some sort of algorithmic prioritization. I say have to, maybe they don't have to, but as soon as any sort of intermediary technology is involved, there will be some sort of decision-making as to what's seen, how frequently it's seen, what the impact of it being seen is. So clearly there's another factor, which is the priorities and the motivations of the companies who currently dominate Mm -hmm. this environment. But again, to sort of take away from the, the, the argument, the social media overarching phrase, there are still prospects for us to get back in some ways to, you know, if, 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 if blogging seems to be resurrecting itself and RSS feeds seem to be becoming more common again, you know, that starts to remove the intermediaries and it allows each of us to just take our chances on the open web and find out who responds and who doesn't. And that to me is a much more healthy environment. And what's fascinating for me is the whole thing uh, reflects and mirrors societal pools between centralization, decentralization, control, lack of control, You know, I've just done a post moments ago about the word should and how pernicious it is, how people think what other people should do or the pressure on us to that we should behave in certain ways. These are all coercive ideas that make it harder just to be yourself, be authentic and find your way in the world. You know, the original idea and the original appeal of much of the uh, what the Internet was was about that, was enabling that. Now, clearly... You know, I'm going to end up sounding like some aging hippie idealist. And, you know, there, there have been some rocky patches along the way, but I still think that prospect is there. And it's, it's what I'm sort of holding out for. I would love to believe that. I really would. And, and you know, that, that, that aging hippie thing. Yeah, I get it. I mean, that was why this all came about in the first place. Yeah. But I have become admittedly increasingly disturbed by what is happening over the last few months, but I, I think longer than that. And, and I would agree with you. I used to say to people all the time, look, social media is just a tool. It's how you use it is what's important. And, and you're going to get back from it effectively how you're using it. I am I'm moving away from that a bit. Mm-hmm. And I think it's linked to, like you say, that the motivation of the companies behind this stuff and the way they go about the business. And I guess I'm talking specifically Facebook here, but you shouldn't discount the likes of Twitter either. But I mean, let's talk about Facebook a bit. There's obviously big arguments at the moment about regulation and should it be regulated and what form would that take? Do you think that would have any impact on on this, this situation at all? Or is it still down to the way that effectively people are using it? Well, I think, as I sort of said earlier, I think... You know, it clearly can't be 
unregulated. You know, we have societal rules for acceptable behavior. Yeah. And it shouldn't be immune to those. Whether that means we need extra or different or more legislation around the online world, I'm less convinced. And of course, again, it's fascinating looking at what's happening in Hong Kong at the moment and mm-hmm. how the, the demonstrators are using mesh networks to talk to each other, even things like Apple's AirDrop facility within the phones is allowing them to connect and share with each other despite the fact that the, the, the Chinese authorities keep trying to turn off the networks. Um, yeah. You know, they don't need the network. They're close <laughs> enough to each other, they can begin to use a mesh. And so things like that, you know, will always be a tension between, as I say, the desire sometimes legitimate desire to control um, or to at least moderate the extremes of behavior that are possible. I'm not, I'm not claiming some sort of libertarian nightmare at all. Um, but I, I, another thing that sort of bothers me increasingly is that the people who make the biggest noise about demanding legislation are the ones who have the least understanding of how the environment works. Sure. And, and I worry that if we introduce the wrong legislation, we, we could make things worse rather than better and break things that, that, that are valuable. Okay. So as I say, you know, I think there are enough laws in the world that we, we regulate our behaviours and we know how to do that. There is no reason why these should not be applied to our... Acti- see, it's partly because we still see online and offline as different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just life, yep. you know? It's just life and people doing things, whether online or off, and, and uh, the distinction is increasingly unproductive. Do you think it's, it's a case of social media and the technology behind that having moved so fast over the last... 10 years or so specifically it's getting faster and faster we know that to be the case mm-hmm. but that we as people as society have not developed the thinking the responsibility yes. the personal responsibility over in that same time frame yes. i mean is, is that an element of truth in that i think i think that's probably the biggest problem okay and it's what motivates me to try and help people catch up frankly yeah and i, and I watch people you know we were chatting before we started about media uh, people in comms and pr and whatever yeah and I, I know professional broadcasters still, friends of mine, who, who just don't get it. Yeah. And still have incredibly naive views about the internet, which you see on the telly and the radio all the time, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, that sort of slightly sneery, nervous, I don't do technology kind of attitude, I think is increasingly a dereliction of professional duty. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. you can't not <laughs> do technology. It's how things happen. Yeah, get over it. Get your hands dirty. Start playing and tinkering and working it out. And I guess that leads, if if that is the case, and people are not either not adopting this stuff or not adopting the responsibility, let's say, for how they're using it, does that effectively mean there are no consequences for people? I mean, where does it end? Do we do we have a moral? Do people, society, using the internet, using social media, have some kind of moral or ethical obligation to to do better. Absolute. The mistake we've made over the last few centuries to think that we can devolve that to other people. Right. You know, this is where, you know, using the word anarchism is so problematic because it's had such a bad press partly brought on itself. But, you know, the original thinking behind anarchism was was the ultimate in democracy, where people took responsibility. And not, as I say, in a, in a libertarian sense, but just in the sense of, being aware of their impact on those around them and being concerned about that. Um, you know, Kropotkin's mutual aid was all about that. And that's what I think we're beginning to realise is so important that, that, you know, you only get one life and we have so much more 
impact on how that life is perceived and ends up than we've been trained to think. You know, we've been sort of brought up to be passive, compliant, complacent consumers uh, because that was what industry needed. But with automation coming, lots of people will find out that's not not been a safe bet. And, um, yeah. you know, thinking for yourself, being more willing to share what you think with other people and getting better at that, better at that, I think are going to be key skills. So, and we're, you know, we're, as we watch the television each evening, we're watching our current institutions crumbling under their own weight. Yeah. You know, all, all around the world. I mean, this is a massive phase shift that's going on, I think, at the moment. Yeah. And the, to me, apparently inevitable direction is greater responsibility, greater emphasis on mutual respect and tolerance, all of which I find very exciting. Which is why it bemuses okay. my wife that I'm not concerned about what's happening in Parliament at the moment. Yeah. It, it can't happen fast enough, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I think you're the only person I've heard that said that. That's, a, dare I say, a very idealistic view. Obviously, we... Well, you... no, but hang on, it's, it's not idealistic, it's pragmatic. And, you know, I, okay. I, I've had people, you know, good friends, very clever friends, say to me in the past, it's uh, unreasonable of me to... Th- expect people to think what I think. And I counter that by saying, well, I don't want people to think what I think. I just want them to think. Yeah. And I want them to share what they think with each other. And if they do that, I'm confident we'll end up in a more robust, sustainable and better place than we are currently. Um, so there's no sort of, in a sense, no ideology behind it. There's no predicted outcome behind it. Uh-huh. So I- ideologies are dangerous. But if, if we are taking say i take responsibility for the way i behave and what i post uh on online and the way i discuss things and you do the same and we leave it to individuals that's fine okay i can control how i behave Mm -hmm. what you obviously can't control is how other people what other people post how they respond how they behave so how do you get this message you are talking about out into into society as a whole because i mean you and i both know that a lot of what happens online is is totally ridiculous but is is it down to you and me not to respond to that or to not to amplify yes. it? i mean what form does that take maybe remember there's a chapter in my book called we've all got a volume control on mob rule and we have a responsibility to decide what we first of all pay attention to you know we have a responsibility to protect ourselves against ideas that are damaging and, and not, not not productive for us but equally, we have a responsibility to decide why am I sharing this? What are the consequences of me sharing this? Should I argue against this? Should I take a stand and, and, and def- defend this idea? Or should I block this person or whatever? And again, I think people are maturing into this. They're realizing that, that they do have that power. And each micro decision about what you do or don't share, what you do or don't like, affects the whole network. And, and that's where, as I said earlier, we have more power than we, we think. Yeah. And... You know, a lot of this comes down to intent, as, as is the case with everything. And this is where I, I increasingly believe that more open and serious conversations about the way we view the world and the way individuals see their place in the world are going to matter, mm-hmm. whatever that perspective is. I mean, that, you know, it's funny just to, I shouldn't be looking at the web while I'm doing these things, but I'm just <laughs> talking about the, the, the idea of should being a, a, a toxic word. And the first response I got was, well, people should care about climate change. And I'm going to wade in in a minute or go and say, well, yeah, how's that going then? 
you know, it's the, it's the fact that the those concerned about climate change have the attitude that the other people should think this that's causing half the problem. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about it, <laughs> but that what other people, you know, that strong idea of other people should, blah, blah, it's just what entrenches those other people in the opposite view. Yeah. Which isn't to say you don't discuss what might be worth thinking about or what you care about or what, what might be a better sure. way to do things, but it's that pernicious idea of should that's so problematic. And I think the same is true generally on the internet. It's full of people saying what other people should think or what other yep. people should do. Less of that would be good. But going back to the initial a start point of that, if, let's say, social media wasn't around, doesn't that remove that whole visibility of yes. that? So I go back to saying, well, I, th- I personally, I think there's still a question of, is social media doing more harm than good? And I don't know the answer to this. It's just a question. Well, you can't put it back in its box. I mean, it. No, absolutely. But. And that's to negate the immense benefit that we get from it. I mean, the fact that I can maintain contact with my aging relatives down in Dorset through FaceTime, or I can yeah. learn how to strap loads on the back of my truck by watching YouTube videos. You know, <laughs> there's all this incredible magic. Or even just last night, somebody mentioned something about a dead parrot. And it was the kids who had no idea about the Monty Python parrot scene. Yeah. So within 30 seconds, I'd called it up on my phone and was showing it to them. That's magic. Are you going to turn it off? Well, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. <laughs> I do agree. It, it, like you say, it's not going back in the box. Um, I think there are some pretty fundamental questions that maybe the networks need to ask themselves. But I don't know. I think it's a complex issue. Mm. We, we've sort of talked about individual responsibility and, and taking responsibility for your own actions. And you made a good point about it's not just about what you share. It's about what you react to. Do you need to react yeah. to something? Do you need to leave a negative comment probably not let's yeah, face it yeah. but so we've talked about individual responsibility uh, and just before we re- started recording i was talking about pr and, and marcoms and that side of things do you think there is any kind of uh responsibility from marketing people from organizations to equally to reflect that sort of behavior back into social networks and online and what sort of if there is what sort of form does that take even well it's funny actually because I was having a tooth filled uh day before yesterday with the dentist and he's a really smart lad and we, we ended up talking about what I do and the internet and the similar conversation to the one we're having at the moment and we got onto the subject of algorithms and the fact of how much of our online lives are determined by algorithms written by people with a particular perspective or bias or context and so I, yeah. know, I wrote a piece recently called The Ideology of Algorithms, and we're allowing these bits of code to determine our perspective on what's true, what's right, what's wrong, whatever. And um, he was then talking about the insidious effect of consumerism and manipulating people to think they have to get the latest device or they have to get the latest app or they have to get whatever. Yeah. I said, well, frankly, the whole dental industry is based on the idea that you have to have a certain set of ideal teeth. (laughs) You know, this this is not new. And I'm very aware of the impact that marketing has and, and the motivations for marketing and the whole idea of need and lack. You know, you need this thing, you need this service. If you don't have this service, you're not as good as you could be you're not as successful as you could be you're not keeping up with these other people who do have this service or product whatever 
that whole mechanism, I think, is deeply flawed. Mm-hmm. And I think the advertising algorithms that are behind Facebook and other platforms are driven by that motivation and are therefore deeply flawed. I mean, we we very occasionally watch uh, real television, as it were, linear television, and very occasionally stumble across an ad break and basically recoil in horror <laughs> that, <laughs> that people still make a living making that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost inconceivable. The kids genuinely look nonplussed. Um. And you, can, you know, I've been involved in marketing work and stuff, and and you know, you could make the argument that well, how else do you fund things? I'm not sure, but I certainly think that that engine of dissatisfaction has a lot to answer for in, in terms of the way we behave online. Interesting. <laughs> I know there's going to be some interesting views on this uh, when it's published. And yeah, I like the phrase, the engine of dissatisfaction. I was thinking I quite liked that as well as it came out of my mouth. <laughs> I yeah. use that again. <laughs> you do. You need to write something on that because that about sums it up. We're kind of running out of time, but I just wanted to ask you one sort of final question. I long to summarise all this. How has your own social media use changed over the last few years? And, you know, you think, like you said, you've been an early adopter of it going back years and years but specifically in the last two or three how how have how has your own use changed well in one sense very very little in the in the in as much as i still blog um less people visit the blog but then yeah. what i do is i copy those posts into facebook right because i get the greatest in, levels of conversation on facebook i love it i love pumping an idea in there and then you know as, as it's happening now and that one about uh, the word should people just pick it up and run with it and some, somebody once described my Facebook feed as like watching a late night chat show with smart people just discussing interesting topics. And uh-huh. so that's, that's always been my motivation and my pleasure. Um, I would prefer that it happened on my blog, but if it doesn't, that doesn't matter. Yeah, It's been interesting with Twitter because I sort of fell out of love with Twitter quite quite a while back and just found it incredibly noisy. Yeah, um, but, but, but put the effort in, trimmed it down, got it back to some interesting smart people. And for instance, yesterday watching the activity in parliament thoroughly enjoyed the mix of scurrilous comment and and factual uh, input it was it was a great way to experience change yeah, yeah. i've sort of given up on linkedin okay it was never you know i was user number 1400 out of however many mil, million it is now um so i've been in there from the start and waiting patiently for it to for it to meet its promise but it's just always felt spammy and full of people in suits hiding yeah. from the rest of the internet and <laughs> it's, it's kind of a shame you know um so i saw and i've been posting blog posts into linkedin on the kind of basis of getting some kind of response or traction and just nothing happened so i thought well why am i bothering so i've still got my account and it's a great way to find people but uh, i'm not spending any more time in there yeah i mean i still i still think, as i say there's there's enough people you know i know some of the folks who invented the hashtag and rss and all that sort of stuff and there's still i think real prospects for for us to get back some of the energy that's been sort of corrupted and dissipated. I don't think it's over yet. What that will look like, what it will be, I don't know. Um, We'll see. Well, it's a really positive place to finish, actually. Um, Listen, it's been fascinating talking to you about this, and and I know you've got lots more views on this as well if we have more time, but um, it's an absolute pleasure talking to you. Where can people get hold of you if they want to talk to you more about some of your ideas? Well, my website is ewansemple.com, at Ewan on Twitter. 
if you use LinkedIn, I'm still there. <laughs> <laughs> Any of the above. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you very much, you and I. Like I said, really appreciate it. My pleasure. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you've got any ideas for future topics you'd like to see covered or people you'd like to hear from, contact me on Twitter where I'm at the Paul Sutton. Thank you for listening.